Hi, everybody. Can everybody hear me okay? Wonderful. Um, I'm really excited about this morning. I've been looking forward to this for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. <laughs> and it's good to finally be with you guys. Um, some time ago, I was talking to a uh, seasoned pastor who had been in ministry for a really long time. And uh, he was giving advice. It was like a conference type situation. And he was giving advice to younger ministers. And he said, uh, he said, hey, guys, when you finally go, when you apply for a job as a pastor at a church, a teaching pastor, uh, lead pastor, solo pastor, teaching pastor, doesn't matter. When you go and you preach for them um, in your candidating weekend, that's what they call what we're doing now, where you preach and then there's a vote. When you go preach for them, just and let me give you some advice. And I'm paying attention to this. Uh, and he says, when you preach before they vote, whatever you do, don't preach a great sermon. <laughs> but, okay. And he said, you don't want to, don't preach a great sermon. Don't preach your best sermon. Preach a mediocre, average sermon that you, and uh, because you don't want to get anyone's expectations too high. Because uh, if you preach great, then they're going to vote, and then you're going to be stuck with these high expectations. Uh, so I was thinking about that this week. So I have prepared uh, my best mediocre sermon for you guys. So <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, that actually did happen. Uh, I did not try to prepare a mediocre sermon for you. Uh, but I tell you that story because, you know, there's kind of an elephant in the room here. Uh, I want to proclaim the gospel to you. I want to preach the word to you. I want to present Christ to you. Uh, and we're worshiping together. But at the same time, I know you guys are listening, as you should, to try to hear and discern what kind of leader I am uh, in order to make an informed decision next week. And that's kind of an elephant in this room. So I, I want to call out the elephant in the room. Get it on the table. Uh, one of the things that you guys, even now, are looking for in me is to see what kind of spiritual leader uh, I would be at this church. So what I want to do is I want to, hopefully it's not a mediocre sermon, but I do want to preach a sermon about spiritual leadership. Uh, this is one of my go-to passages in the scriptures when I think about what it means to be a leader, especially what it means to be a pastor. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, or if you're using the worship guide, we're going to read from John chapter 10 today. We'll do the first part of John 10 now, and then we'll do the second part of John 10 uh, next weekend. But let's read this together, and then I want to show you some things uh, about spiritual leadership that we find in this text. Okay? John chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, 
the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. They do not know the voice of strangers. And this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I tell you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, hallowed be your name. Lord, we come together before you in this time uh, to, to listen to your word, to hear your voice. Lord, I pray that you would speak in this time, just as you promised. Speak through your word by, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you open our um, open our hearts, open our minds, even open our imaginations to the glory of Christ. Help us to understand what kind of um, leadership we're supposed to be about as Jesus teaches us here. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight this time. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. So this passage is about spiritual leadership. And I, and I want to teach it to you because this is the kind of leadership that uh, I so value. And, and I believe this is what Jesus shows here. It's the leadership you guys value. And there's a lot that we can learn here in this time. So it's about leadership, but it's a little hard to catch at first because Jesus uh, doesn't really use the word leadership here. He's talking about sheep, sheep pens, shepherds. Um, Jesus is doing the thing that he does so very often, giving a teaching that's really beautiful uh, and, and moving, but I'm not quite sure what it is he's actually talking about here. <laughs> he's up just talking about sheep and shepherds, and it's beautiful. What is he really trying to say? Well, something about Bible reading that's really important. Uh, we can't do without when we read our Bibles is context. Context uh, shapes the meaning of passages, and especially in Jesus's teaching. We need to look at his surroundings uh, and the context in which he speaks various things in order to understand his message. One reason why so many things that Jesus said often get misunderstood is because they're taken out of context. So this particular passage, uh, the context is important, just like every other passage of Scripture. But in this passage especially, the context really shapes uh, the meaning in a very strong way.
strong and particular way. In fact, it's one of those passages where if we can wrap our minds around the context, then go back and reread the actual text of the passage, it, it, it's like it, it'll light up. The, the context is the key for unlocking this particular passage. So what I wanna do is I wanna take the first half of our time here, framing the context. I wanna spend a long time on context. And then we'll go back to the passage, read it, and I think you'll see it, I hope you'll see it in a new way and we'll, we'll draw some conclusions from it. Okay, so context. There's three things about context that are really critical for understanding this passage. The first is where Jesus is when he is teaching this. You know, so many of Jesus's uh, teachings, so many of the images Jesus, is, Jesus uses when he teaches in the New Testament come from his surroundings. For example, when Jesus said, uh, consider the lilies of the field, God clothes them, so don't worry about what you're going to wear. When Jesus said that, he, it was the Sermon on the Mount. He was standing on a mountainside, and there were flowers around him. He's drawing from his surroundings. Or when Jesus said, that his, the famous thing he said, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus was standing in front of his friend Lazarus's tomb before he raises Lazarus from the dead. Very often, Jesus's image, image, the images that he uses in his teaching are taken from his surroundings. So we read this passage, and we read about sheep and shepherds and sheep pens. We should automatically assume that Jesus is out in the country, maybe around some sheep. But if we read the chapter before this, and then the chapter before that, we see that Jesus isn't out in the country. He's actually in the city of Jerusalem, standing near the pool of Siloam, which is on kind of the south side of the city, but still very much in an urban area. So the fact that Jesus has a pattern of drawing images from his surroundings, and then in this place, when he presents such a strong image that seems to break the pattern, we should really pay attention. That should catch uh, our imaginations. Jesus is in Jerusalem uh, near the Pool of Siloam. And in the book of John, when Jesus is in Jerusalem, uh, for the most part, it's usually around festival time. Uh, this, just a few chapters before this, it was the Feast of Booths. So Jesus is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is crowded. And people from, uh, from all over have come to Jerusalem to worship. Part of the reason, well, I guess the whole reason people come to Jerusalem to worship is because Jerusalem is like the capital city, not just for uh, Judea, but it's the capital city for the Jewish people and their tradition. It's like a religious capital. It's the city of the prophets, the people that God anointed to, to speak his word, to help people understand who he is. Jerusalem is the city of priests. It's the city with the people that helped us connect to God. Jerusalem is the city of politicians. Uh, Herod, the, which when you read the New Testament, he seems like a really big deal. And he was a big deal, but you look at history and he was kind of a minor Roman prefect, which is fascinating, I guess, for another sermon. But Herod was there. Pilate was there, the Roman governor. 
Pilate, Pilate was a very powerful man. We find out later, it turns out he turns out to be a bad guy. Uh, but Pilate was there. This is the city of prophets. This is the city of priests. This is the city of politicians. And it's festival time. This is leadership city. So that's the first thing about the place. The second thing about the place is this. There in Jerusalem, where the power and the leadership structures for uh, the, the, the Roman region, but also the Jewish nation are all there together. Uh, when Jesus speaks about sheep and shepherding, that connects to that leadership motif. Throughout the Old Testament, there is a running metaphor that kind of starts around the time that David, uh, the shepherd boy, is anointed as king. He starts writing psalms. Starts about that point, and it moves throughout the rest of the Old Testament. There's this ongoing motif uh, that compares the people of Israel to sheep and refers to their leaders as shepherds. So, Psalms of David, David the shepherd king, Psalm 74, Psalm 95, talk about how God's people are sheep. And God is the great shepherd of his sheep. But the, the, the leaders, the king and the prophets and the, uh, the priests, they're like under shepherds for the people. Psalm 78 talks about how David himself, uh, as the king of Israel, is a shepherd under God's overarching authority. So, and then in Isaiah, over and over again through the Old Testament, we see this motif. So here's Jesus, who often draws images from his surroundings for his sermons, for his lessons and his teachings, speaking about sheep and shepherding around festival time in the religious and political epicenter for the region. Jesus is giving a lesson here about leadership, about spiritual leadership, uh, even about politicized spiritual leadership. Do you see it? So that's the first thing about the context. Here's the second thing about the context. Jesus is speaking these words uh, as a direct confrontation to a particular group of people. Jesus is not just giving this as a random sermon or a random teaching. He is speaking to a particular group of people, and these words are confrontational. Third, this confrontational lesson that Jesus gives in Jerusalem uh, happens after a particular event that was very, very significant. And that's the piece that ties all of this together. So, Instead of just reading the whole chapter before, the event is described in John chapter 9. Let me just walk you through it and tell you the story as if we were all there and watched it happen. Because the people that were hearing Jesus' message at this point had just watched this thing happen. So here's what happened. It's festival time, and Jesus and his disciples are walking along in Jerusalem. And they pass by this place called the Pool of Siloam. Now, the Pool of Siloam was not like uh, a swimming pool. It wasn't like the community pool over off of Powell Boulevard. Not like that. The Pool of Siloam was more like, uh, like a fountain in a park, maybe like the big fountain down at Tom McCall Park downtown. It was a gathering place. This was a place where people 
got together and they congregated. So Jesus is walking by the pool of Siloam and he and his disciples pass by a man who's sitting there by the pool who's panhandling. He's begging. He's asking for money. And the text says that he was a man uh, that was born blind. So here we find somebody with a physical disability sitting in this public square uh, begging for money. This is something that we have seen in cities for all time. But they're walking by, and one of his disciples, I guess, points at the man or references the man, and he says, Rabbi, uh, who sinned? Uh, this blind man, did he sin? So that, and that's why he's blind and got in this situation. Or was it his parents who sinned? Apparently, back in the first century, um, if somebody was disabled or houseless or panhandling, um, there was a thing where sometimes people thought that maybe the person got in that situation because they sinned and they did something wrong. Back in the first century, people thought that houselessness and disabilities were all consequences of bad decisions that people or their parents made. They thought that in the first century, good thing we're over that, and we don't think that way anymore <laughs> about, obviously, I'm being sarcastic. They did what we do. They, they walked by a guy on the side of the road, and instead of thinking, how can we help him, they think, how did that, what bad decision did that guy make to get in that situation? They walked by, said, Lord, who sinned? And Jesus says, guys, it's not about whether this guy sinned or whether his parents sinned. This man is in this particular situation so that the work of God will be done in his life and through him. And then Jesus does something amazing. He gets down on the ground in front of this man. Who's, the, the text makes it clear. He's totally blind. He's not low vision or something. He's totally blind. Jesus gets down in front of him. And then he spits in the mud, mixes it up, um, and then puts the mud on the man's eyes. And in fact, in the, the original Greek text, it says that Jesus anoints the man's eyes. Now that's powerful. Can you imagine? Here is a man, an outcast from society, who's sitting there begging for money, begging for help. He's born with this, uh, with this vision disability, and Jesus gets down and touches his face. This is a very intimate, personal moment. And it says that Jesus anoints his eyes, which means that Jesus is probably speaking a prayer over him. It says that he anoints his eyes. And that, that should, as a reader, spark our imaginations. Maybe back to like when Elijah anointed Elisha to be the prophet uh, of all of Israel. Or like when Samuel anointed David to be the king of Israel. Or like when Aaron and his sons were anointed with oil to be priests over Israel. Jesus is anointing this man. He is doing something mysterious and beautiful that should have consequences in this man's life. And then he tells the guy, go wash in the pool. And then Jesus leaves. Well, the text says that the man went and he washed and he came back seeing. His blindness is healed. He's overcome with joy. And if we were watching this, we would see that here's a man walking around seeing the world, seeing people for the first time. I can imagine he's walking around going, look at that, look at that, look over there. Somebody says, hey, and he goes, I know your voice. I never knew that's what you look like. This is amazing. I could see. And it draws a big crowd. And the townspeople 
are looking around saying, how did this happen? Are you the guy that used to, that sits in front of the fountain? Are you the blind guy? He says, yes, I'm the blind guy. Well, what happened? How did you get healed? This man named Jesus came by and he anointed my eyes and I'm healed. And the townspeople say, this is, this is, uh, this is too much for us. Uh, we need to go get uh, the pastor. So they go and they get the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were uh, a leadership sect in, in uh, the first century and all over the Jewish world uh, that had a particular religious and political agenda. Very often, we think of them as sort of the bad guys in the New Testament. Jesus is always getting on to them. But that might not be totally fair. These, the Pharisees, even though Jesus was always getting on to them, uh, the Pharisees were very much loved by many of the people. They were not priests. They weren't really politicians. They were a religious sect that kind of had like a special interest group. They had a political agenda, but really their goal was to lead God's people in keeping the law faithfully. They were also in charge of the synagogue system. So these are like the almost like local pastors that cared for the people. But part of the Pharisees' worldview was part of their political agenda is they wanted the Romans out uh, of Judea. And the way that they thought that God had designed to get that done was by the strict keeping of God's law. They thought that if they kept God's law really good, and they taught all the people to keep God's law really good, God would see and he would notice, and then he would deliver his people from Roman oppression. Kids, have you ever thought that maybe, you, you're, maybe you're trying to get your parents to do something for you? Like maybe you're trying to get your parents to take you out for ice cream. So you ask them, can we go out for ice cream? And your parents say, yeah, maybe. And then you think, well, I'm going to be really good. I'm going to make sure I do everything right because I want them to see I'm being good. So they take me for ice cream. Ever done that? Well, that's kind of what the Pharisees were trying to do. So here they are, these community leaders. This man is healed. The, the, everything's up in an uproar, and the people say, we got to go get the Pharisees. They're the experts on these kinds of things. That's Pastor Jimmy from the synagogue. We need to go get him, and we need to get his opinion on this. So the Pharisees show up, and they see this man who's walking around who had been blind, and they say, are you the guy from the fountain, right, from, from the pool? Yeah, I'm the guy. How did you get healed? Well, this man came, came his name was Jesus, and he anointed my eyes, and, and I can see. And the Pharisees go, yeah, that's not going to work. We know Jesus, and he's not a law keeper. So that didn't happen. And the guy says, no, it happened. They say, well, today's the Sabbath, and healing on the Sabbath is, healing is working, and working on the Sabbath is wrong. So obviously Jesus didn't heal you. Because uh, we're all about being faithful to God's covenant. And Jesus, in our opinion, he's way out of bounds. He didn't heal you. And the guy says, no, it was Jesus. Jesus healed me. And they say, well, how can this be? Jesus is a sinner. He's not like, he's not like us, you know, being faithful to the law. And the guy said, look, I don't know what to tell you. I was blind. Then Jesus. Now I see. And the guy said, no, this is going to be a problem. So they call the guy's parents, the guy who's formerly blind, they call his parents over. And the Pharisee, Pastor Jimmy Pharisee says, uh, excuse me, um, is this your son? They say, yeah, it's your son. They look at the guy and say, are these your parents? He says, I don't know, I've never seen him before. Yeah, that's, okay, that's my parents, yeah. 
And then they tell the parents, uh, how was your son healed? And the text tells us that the parents were afraid to answer. Because the Pharisees, even though the Pharisees were loved, even though they knew the law, even though they did good things, parents were afraid that if they disagreed with them and said it was Jesus, that they'd get kicked out of the synagogue. Apparently, back in the first century, there was a thing that happened where sometimes pastors or spiritual leaders um, used intimidation tactics to get people to do what they wanted. Good thing that stuff never happens anymore. That was just a first century thing. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic. Just like today, sometimes in the first century, church leaders, spiritual leaders, can be bullies. Even good ones can sometimes be bullies. And these parents were afraid. They wouldn't answer. So finally, the Pharisees go back to the guy. And they say, okay, you say Jesus healed you. But, and I'm paraphrasing all this, by the way. You say Jesus healed you, but I don't know where he is. So how about this? Either deny that Jesus was the one who healed you and just give glory to God alone, or you're out of the synagogue. And the guy says, I don't know what to tell you. Jesus is the one who healed me. And by the way, if he's doing things like healing people like me, he has to be from God. I'm not denying that Jesus is the Messiah. I was blind, and now I see. And these Pharisees are ticked, and they say, you're out. You're out of the synagogue. You're excommunicated from God's people. And this man is just completely overwhelmed. And he goes and he sits back down. Uh, the last time he was sitting down in the story, he was blind. Now he's sitting down again, totally discouraged. And the crowd disperses. And then as he's sitting there, he hears a voice, a familiar voice. And it's the voice of Jesus. And he looks up and he sees a face he has never seen before, the face of his Lord. And Jesus gets down and he says, my friend, do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of Man was a term that Jesus used for himself when he was referring to his role as the Messiah, as God's anointed one, to deliver the people. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The guy says, yeah, of course, but I've never seen him. I, I wouldn't be able to point him out. I don't know who he is. And Jesus says, you're looking at him. You have seen him. It is I. And the man falls down on his face and begins to worship Jesus. And then the Pharisees, the beloved pastor, Pastor Jimmy, spiritual leaders, and they say, what's going on here? And Jesus turns to them. And this is how John chapter 9 ends. He says, Jesus turns to them and he says, uh, uh, for judgment, I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. When the Pharisees heard this, said to Jesus, are we blind? Is Jesus calling us the blind people here? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. Uh, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And then we get to our passage. So let me read our passage. We frame the context, Jerusalem, spiritual leadership, talking to the Pharisees. This guy just got healed, and it's a confrontational moment. Now listen to our passage from today. Jesus says, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, but uh, he who does not enter, who, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own by name, he leads him out, and when he's brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but flee from him. They don't know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. And in the Greek it says, I myself am the door. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will save and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I come to say the people of God may have life and have it abundantly. Do you see how the context begins to shape the meaning of this text? Are you beginning to see what Jesus is saying about spiritual leadership? standing before these spiritual leaders, the Pharisees, and standing before this man who had lost all credibility with his neighbors because he wouldn't deny Jesus after being healed. There's three things about spiritual leadership that Jesus is saying in this passage. And they all are shaped come out in the context. Here's the first. Not every shepherd, not everyone who claims to be a leader is worth following. Not every leader is worth following jesus says there's two kinds of there's two kinds of shepherds those who come in from the door and if you imagine in first century they're the, they, just like today they kept sheep in these pens but unlike today where the sheep pens and corrals have big doors so you can drive your f-250 and your four-wheeler through them back in the old days before they had f-250s the doors were narrow because you just had to walk through it by yourself it's your person Jesus says there's two kinds of shepherds, those who enter the sheep pen by the door and those who come in another way. And the ones who come in by the door, that's the one that the sheep follows. Those are the good ones. But the ones who come another way are thieves, they're robbers, and they're strangers. Now, uh, I was going to ask the kids a question. So I'm just going to ask you, kids, um, if you're out there, uh, uh, kids, thieves and robbers, good guys or bad guys? Okay, we're, we're all muted. That's good. I'm just going to imagine that you're nodding and saying, yes, thieves and robbers are bad guys. Okay, second thing, strangers. What do you do if a stranger comes up to you and says, follow me, kids? We don't follow strangers. We don't talk to stranger danger. Strangers are not the people that we follow. Jesus says the shepherds who come by the door, we follow. The shepherds who come another way, thief, robber, stranger. So not every shepherd, not every leader is worth following. That's the second thing. The ones worth following, the good ones, come in by way of the door. Because there's only two kinds. Door shepherds, other way shepherds. Safe shepherds and dangerous shepherds. And then the third lesson Jesus gives, which is the big idea of the whole passage. He himself is the door. 
he himself is the door. Jesus says, look at verse 7. So they didn't understand. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I myself am the door for the sheep. He goes on to say in verse 9, I'm the door. Anyone who enters by me will be saved to go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life, have it abundantly. Here's the big idea of the whole thing. We'll wrap this up. Here's the big lesson about spiritual leadership from Jesus. Your education, in the end, doesn't matter. Pharisees, highly educated. Your community standing, Pharisees have, in the end, doesn't matter. Your outward commitment to do the right thing, in the end, it doesn't really matter. Your political status, in the end, doesn't really matter. The only credible, powerful, credentialing power for spiritual leadership is Jesus. You say, Charlie, yeah, that makes sense, of course. Well, think about it. Anyone who claims to lead, I myself coming to you, asking to lead your church, anyone else who's been here, anyone here who's a leader, our message, hope as, as a church wanting to lead in the community, a message of our as leaders, is only as credible as it agrees with Jesus' message. Our influence is only as good as it holds up Jesus instead of holding up ourselves. The way that we work is only as good as much as it honors Jesus, as it reflects Jesus, as it proclaims Jesus. Nothing else matters. He is the door. Think about the Pharisees. They had prophetic Standing. They spoke truth to power to the Romans. They had priestly influence. They ran the synagogues and told people about God. They had political standing. But Jesus looks at them and he says, Stranger, thief, robber. Now consider this man who was born blind. No social standing. His parents denied him. They wouldn't even stick up for him. He's disabled from birth. He's outcast from the community. But his story, his story that he had been anointed, found, spoken to, and anointed, and been healed by Jesus, his story has gone on to absolutely change the world. We're reading it today. And this story has been proclaimed all over the globe and has changed, changed things. This man was a leader. So as we close, I want to invite you to consider your own life. Everybody's a leader to somebody. Even kids. You have other kids who look up to you. Everybody's a leader to somebody. Where do your leadership credentials come from? I want to invite you, as you have already and as you continue to, examine me. Where, where are my leadership? Think about hope. Where you want hope to go? What are hope's leadership credentials? Are they rooted in culture or theology or politics? 
Or are they rooted in the prophet, priest, king himself, Jesus Christ? God takes nobody and makes them somebody, not when they do good enough to get his attention, like the Pharisees, but when they are wounded enough and open enough. And Jesus comes, not because of them, but because God's power would be displayed in their life finds them, speaks to them, anoints them, and raises them up. Oh, by God's grace, let that be us. And through the gospel, through his death and resurrection and ascension, through God's sovereign grace, that is us. Because he's the Savior. And we're the people, uh, we're his people, the sheep of his pasture. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, your word is beautiful, and we uh, rejoice at the opportunity to hear it, meditate on it. Lord, there's a lot of leadership that needs to get done here in our city, here in this church, in our denomination, in our communities. Lord, we need spiritual leaders, and it's so easy to go out there and to try to lead people based on our own ability to speak, our own ability to influence, our own ability to make things happen. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would be people who are empowered by you through our connection to you. I pray that people of Portland will look at hope and they will see Jesus. Lord, I pray with all my heart People here at Hope will look at my broken life and see Jesus. Lord, I pray that the whole world would look at the church and they would see Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Lord, with glory.